Hallelujah. Lift your hands up unto the Lord. Isn't he worthy of praise this morning? Isn't he worthy of praise the minute you wake up and you start to breathe that magnificent air he has given you? Hallelujah. Let if The Bible says that everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Glory and honor be unto him. I'll tell you what, we serve a God of mystery, but we also know that we serve a God who knows the way. And we believe this, you know, turn to your neighbor and say, don't worry, God knows the way. Amen. Yes, he does. And he will continue to show us the way. Amen. The way to get out of trouble, the way to keep, find, find and keep our salvation, the way to keep us in the right paths with him. All for him, he will show us the way. He knows the way. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's worthy of all praise. I'm excited to be here today. There's changes in our lives that happen. You know, some are sudden, but some of them can be long-lasting and maybe not so sudden. But they make a change in us and they transform us for the good of God. He knows what he's doing. Praise the Lord. Now, if you would turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis, we'll begin in chapter 41. And uh, for those who were here Thursday, uh, we saw a video, but I tell you what, it was a powerful video. It was, uh, I believe, Brother Morgan, was it Moody or Morgan? Morgan. And the things that he said, you know, about being in a storm and knowing to stay calm. And he says, we're always going to be, at times we're going to be tormented, but we have to also learn to rely on God. And that was the message, learn to rely on God. And if we do, then we cannot be moved. Turn our books, I'm sorry, to Genesis 40, chapter 41, verse 38 through 40, which are the focus verses. And it says, And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all these, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. Praise God. If you would pray with me today that God would anoint our ears and our hearts and also the word that I may speak it forth to bless you and also myself. Lord, we thank you today. We thank you for your word, Lord Jesus. We want to be led by your spirit because we know, Lord, that you're the way, the truth, and the life. So we come to you and we're here today with a humble heart to learn more from you through your words. We have tons of examples to learn from and we're humbly grateful for all that you give us. As we who believe and agree in your mighty, wonderful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Praise God. Thank you, team. Music. Worship. And worshipers. Praise the Lord. God knows the way. Dedication, honesty, and faithfulness will always pay off when living for God. Now, we don't do these things and we're not looking for the payoff, but it's something that we do because we want to be faithful to God because we are servants of the living God and we have the Holy Ghost within us. So there's 
a, I should say, there is something that comes from us, from this very uh, nature. Maybe it's not seen, people can't see it, uh, but in heaven we know that it's noted. And I just want to make it clear that our works do not, uh, they do not, they don't get us to heaven, but we know that it's the grace of God that allows us to step into his grace. Uh, and the way this happens is when we do the things of God, we take pleasure in doing the work of the Lord. Matthew 16, 6, chapter 6, verse 19 through 21 tells us, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, upon the earth, uh, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up your treasures in heaven, yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart also be. Treasures of the world, uh, of the world. Obviously, uh, the Bible describes it and them as them being useless because they deteriorate, as the word says. Some things we use once and we toss them, but also other things that are, are of sentimental value. And it's okay to have them as long as we don't become too attached to them and we learn to let them go. In other words, don't get cons consumed by them. But money is the number one thing. Uh, one of those things that actually consumes uh, most, and I'm going to say most of the population, uh, especially when we're surrounded by a uh, city that where money is, is, is what makes, how people say, makes the world go round. But we know that's not fact. We know that it's God that makes the world go round. Money can give someone a sense of power, security, and control. Many can consume. Uh, and again, money is, can, be, can consume not only the rich, but also the poor in the same way. So in knowing this, I'm not going to give the, uh, well, I can give a few descriptions. Uh, you know, you, you, can, you can see the poor and all they have, they'll use for, and, that, and I'm not talking about every single poor individual. I'm talking about those who, uh, the, the, we, we call them poor because they don't have a home to live. And we can say, call them homeless as well. But sometimes the nature of what they use their money for is not in the wisest sense used. So it, it goes in the wrong way. And, of course, the same thing happens to the rich. They can go from rich to poor in such a short time. But in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 16, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but is of the world. And again, I repeat the same thing. God knows the way. Events in life could easily deter us from the plan that God has for us. And when money is involved, it seems to soften the need for God for some. The experience of struggles, all of a sudden gone. Sometimes a position at our job can create a similar concern. Uh, if we don't uh, uh, pay attention to what's going on, uh, if we don't see the outcome of it. And more importantly, sometimes a position can also cause us to feel cheated if we've been there longer than someone else. Uh, it's just not fair, we like to think. If we selfishly focus on our own feelings and wants, then we can create the same problem as with the love of money. We can go as far as to whatever necessary, uh, what, to do whatever necessary to hurt someone. And this is, and I'm talking about job per se. And not to realize we hurt our own integrity in the process while doing it. 
There was a man by the name of John, and I'm not talking Brother John, so make that clear, who was just dedicated to working for his company faithfully for years. He was dedicated, and in doing so, uh, he, uh, he would work extended hours, and he stayed up. He'd work late, and he also worked weekends. And he would do this so that the success of the company would move forth. Two years later, after he's been working for the company, again, he's faithful. Uh, an individual is hired, and I'll give him the name Carl. And in the kindest way to put it, Carl was not of the same ethic as he was. So we understand John was, again, dedicated, worked long hours, and he was willing to put in the time to make sure the success of the company didn't fail. And, of course, also his team. But then Carl constantly looked for, Carl was the person who constantly looked for ways to cut corners and seemed to delight himself in finding ways to get out of work rather than just simply doing the task that needed to be done. Nothing he did was illegal or unnecessarily unethical, but it irritated John to see Carl moving up in the company, receiving promotions that John, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, that, that John, given his seniority, felt should have, should have been offered to him. Then he dreaded the, the, the moment when it came when John and Carl were working together. And, of course, you know what happens. The tension builds up. You already know the character of one individual or how their work ethic is. So he's over here working with Carl, and he realizes that he's going to be stuck doing all the work. So in all, uh, the day comes when the day before, prior to the uh, presenting, and what it is, it's a report of finances. And as he does this, he mentions it to Carl, and Carl looks at him. He's heading out to lunch, taking a short day. And, again, it's on a Friday. And he laughs off and he waltzes off out the door and he felt, he felt as he had more important things to do. Feeling distressed, John felt humiliated and returned to his office and did the final editing of the report. Now as he was reviewing the numbers one last time, something didn't make sense that was there and it was right in front of him. Undeniable proof of Carl's sloppy mistake that had cost the company significantly. All John had to do was include the figures in the report, though there was no real reason to do so. And not only would Carl's mistake be revealed, but John could perhaps get a significant and overdue promotion too. How many of us have been in that position? I've been in the position where I've seen it grow, and um, why don't I get it? <laughs> but obviously God knows something more than we don't. John could finally get what he wanted, but at the cost of what? There's things, there, he was, they were in a situation where you could either uh, put someone out there, and I, and I believe it's right to be faithful when you see things like that. It's good to bring it to the company, but then you're also going to cause uh, tension, and you, you may even cause somebody to lose their job. And I, I have to admit that I was in a very situation like this, and the individual did lose his job. And I wish I had never been in it. I'd hoped for that I would never been in it, but it happened. But when you walk into it and you're put into it, you know, sometimes you don't realize what's happening. By that time, it's too late. The individual's gone, and you're asking all the questions, and you realize why. But defining moments often appear without warning in our lives. One simple decision often makes without a moment's conscious thought, and the very essence of our character is forever altered. In today's lesson, we'll learn about one such moment in, story, in the story of Joseph showing how a life of faithfulness is critical to successfully meet our own defining moments. We have all been, as I mentioned earlier in these, in these times, what we say and what we do at the moment defines exact, that exact moment 
and what we'll build on to the next moment. I know it sounds confusing, but what I'm saying, what we do right now will define what happens next, which could be hours from now. It could be years from now. We don't know. Sometimes we say things that are perhaps inappropriate, or at least we felt that they were, so we come back to redefine that moment. We want to make it right. We should want to make it better. In the Bible, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12 through 14, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet. And what this means is strengthen yourself. If your hands or arms are hanging down low, bring your body up, more upright. Bring your shoulders back. Strengthen yourself. Those knees that are shaking, do something. Do some squats, some lunges, whatever it is that needs to be done to bring it back into character. Pull those hips back with it. And you pull those knees back with it and make straight the path to your feet. Because if something is lame, it's going to cause you to go either fall off to the side or go in the wrong direction. And I know this by experience. I work with people that have this, this concern. Lest which the lame be turned away, but let it rather be healed. In other words, instead of being, do something to bring it back to where there's strength. And then it says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see God. So God gives us a very distinct uh, image and understanding. And, of course, we know that it's uh, Paul speaking to us. And he's very, very clear about it. As he's saying, when you do these things, it's going to strengthen your walk with God. It's going to bring you back to where you should be. And then God nudged me a little bit. Holiness. To be whole, to, com to be complete. Not hard to understand, I hope. And it refers to nothing else but what is supposed to be in you and with you, and it is what makes you whole. What is God-given makes us whole. Anything that is in addition to that, uh, addition to what God gave us, whether it is in us, referring to which is spiritual, uh, or even with us, which would be physically, is would be unnecessary and kind of makes us incomplete. But God makes us complete through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is why the Bible says we put on his righteousness because our righteousness is as filthy rags. Every time the Bible mentions your faith has been made whole or thou art made whole, it's referring back to what the original makeup was designed to be by the mighty God, Lord Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood, the leper, the man that was at the pool of Bethesda. John 5, chapter 5, verse 14, afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. Now I'm going somewhere with this, so just, just in case. Jesus was saying to him, keep your integrity intact. Uh, God can work through a person who has decided to work on keeping their integrity for him. This is why Joseph was called before Pharaoh when he had, uh, he had been dis disturbed by dreams. Joseph had kept himself whole. I'm pretty sure that we have all had the dreams, and some of us are, have made us upset. And I'm just referring to uh, the dreams of Pharaoh in a sense because we know that when we, we, we tend to be discouraged by certain things that happen in our lives, and speaking about dreams and, and talking about being whole are two different, uh, two different ideas. Whole, complete with God, dreams, we can't receive or understand unless we are whole. And this is why I want to just kind of reiterate that Joseph was called because he was whole in the eyes of God. 
I had one, uh, and I just wanted to, just wanted to share one, uh, one crazy, I, I remember having a, this is just something I'm bring, mentioning. I remember having, and I think we've all had these dreams where we've had dreams where they're pretty crazy and we wonder, and we wake up out of our sleep and wonder, where did that come from? What was that all about? And sometimes I'm, uh, I'm back in my childhood days with my mom and dad, and at some, and of course other times I wake up out of my bed and I'm, and I'm startled and I start to pray against whatever it is that has come against me and I want to say my family because I do believe that the enemy does attack us in our dreams if we're not aware. Reacting. I've, I've also, uh, and, and this, we may not agree with this, that's okay. Uh, I believe that the moment you start to, you're able to fight the enemy in your dreams, God has given you something extra to go beyond that point and be able to overcome the enemy, not only in the physical, but also in the spiritual, and more, more importantly, in that subconscious mind that you have no idea what's happening at times. They say that we don't have control of our dreams, but I believe that God gives us the ability to also do that. This is why we pray. God allows us to go through what we need to bring us to the next level or step. As with Pharaoh, it would be a very different, it would have been very different for him in Genesis chapter 41, we approach the climax of Joseph's story where the dream had, uh, he had received as a young man would finally begin to reach its fulfillment. It's important here to be reminded that from the moment Joseph received the dream uh, to the point uh, in Genesis 41, his life had only gotten worse and worse. And I think I remember mentioning this last, well, whenever I did mention Joseph, three weeks ago I think it was, where, <clears throat> where he went from where he was and he had three different places where he stopped. First, he was in the pit, then he was in prison. Actually, one, two. Yeah, pit, Potiphar, and then prison. And so those three kind of helped define him on where he was going to be. But nothing could stop that because it was ordained by God. God already had his hand in it. But, and I was, I was talking to Brother, um, Brother Locke this morning where I said, you know, the, the things that God has already set in motion, it's, we still have to step in and do our part in order for God to take uh, say, okay, I see what, I, you know what I want to do, but I still need you to step in and do your behalf. So the beginning of the chapter, Joseph uh, was appreciated, appreciably no better off than he was uh, at the end of uh, Genesis chapter 37. So far the dream had remained just as a dream and nothing more. And it seemed that the, it was a figment of his imagination. But Pharaoh has some disturbing dreams, and we know that because we know that he opens with a report to Pharaoh's two dreams given to assume that same night. In this first dream, Pharaoh saw, of course, the well-fed cattle come up out of the Nile River and feed along its banks. These were followed by the seven more cattle clearly starving coming up out of the river and consuming the well-fed cattle. After this dream, Pharaoh awoke, but no interpretation or insight was given. Pharaoh fell asleep a second time and dreamed again. This time he saw a stock corn, and we know this. Well, if we've read the story, or I've said the, I'm sorry, the scripture is talking about the seven years uh, of abundance and the seven years of uh, of famine. And it's and, and it is clear, even to the uh, unpracticed reader, that the dreams were symbolic and deeply disturbing. Clearly, the dreams were foreshadowed uh, an evil outcome. However, more important here was Pharaoh's role as a passive recipient of the encrypted, uh, and again, I should say information, in the religion of the Egyptians, uh, and, and if we ever, if anybody's ever read into them, I'd, I'd never uh, gone in depth, but I learned something here today. 
where the Egyptians believed the Nile River is what gave them their life. It's what gave them their abundance. So they kind of worshipped not only the sun god, but they also had worshipped other gods. On top of that, the Nile River was another one. And it says in the religion of Egypt, the Pharaoh was believed to be a demigod, the embodiment of the will of the gods and their purpose on earth. The fact that Pharaoh was troubled by the dreams and unable to interpret their meaning showed that his power as a god was severely limited. He didn't have the ability to interpret dreams as Joseph did. And I believe that in part of that is because uh, Pharaoh was not a, a man of humility, at least not at that point that I would say, because we later find out that he then begins to listen to Joseph because of what Joseph is going to interpret for him. And obviously we also see that if we read on, that we're going to find that uh, Pharaoh is now dependent upon what Joseph is going to say. It says that even Pharaoh's magicians and wise men failed to interpret the dreams, a failure that foreshadowed the centuries, uh, the centuries later confrontation between Pharaoh's magicians and God's chosen deliverer, and with this Moses, who, had also, who would also later make his appearance. Pharaoh's mood heightened the people, so the butler remembers Joseph while this chaotic royalty activity occurred while Joseph still languished in prison completely unaware of the pandemonium engulfing the royal court. So here Joseph is sitting in prison, concerned. Uh, mind is a little bit boggled. We know that he is, he is in prison already. And we know because uh, Potiphar's wife lied to Potiphar. Potiphar then, of course, convinced or not wanting to go against the will of his wife, then puts him in jail. Being in jail, he is now, of course, given, I don't say he's given some form of authority by the, the person in charge. But then it says perhaps the most pitiable moment of Joseph's life occurred when he requested the assistance of a soon-to-be-free butler. He's in jail. He does a miraculous work. He interprets dreams. And, of course, then the butler, who is the only one alive, doesn't say anything. Once he is out the door and he's free, he promptly forgot about Joseph. And this is in uh, Genesis chapter 40, verse 23. Having once been the steward of the powerful Potiphar, Joseph expected Pharaoh's butler to be at least sympathetic to the plight of another who was unjustly imprisoned on the erroneous charges. He had been also in prison. I don't know if it was legit for him to be in prison, but he was in jail. And we would think that Joseph giving his reason why he was there, he would have at least pleaded. But I also believe that there's a possibility that the butler probably didn't want to lose his head. So avoid all confrontations, you know, fear. There's a fear that came over him, and he decided not to. This, this was the only time that Joseph actually asked for help or assistance, asking the, um, the butler to get him out there. Instead, he was forgotten. Uh, just at the opportune moment, then also we know that all everything is going crazy. The butler remembers that there's a Hebrew man in there. They call him out. They rush him out. Pharaoh called Joseph, asked him, hey, could you interpret these dreams for me? He says, it's not I who can interpret. It's God. Joseph immediately again takes the credit away from himself. He says, I'm just someone who's standing here, but the God that I serve can interpret your dream. He can give you what you ask for. And we know if we read the scriptures, it says that, he was going to give him an answer of peace. Imagine that. And I believe what that meant was that he was just going to tell him, this, listen, this is what's going to happen, 
and this is what you need to do. And it, that's exactly what did happen. And in doing that, they were able to save the nation, as I said earlier. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> three weeks ago. He was able to save the nation, but because he paid attention to what Joseph had to say. Joseph was in a position to be able to communicate with God because there was something about him that was different from everyone else that was there. Now, they probably could have gone and find his dad, but they probably didn't know who he was because his, his father, I said, uh, Jacob or Israel, also communicated with God, but that wasn't the person chosen for that moment at that particular time. That particular time, it fell on Joseph. There was a reason for it, and as we know, deliverance. So Pharaoh calls him. Uh, as the crucial moment, uh, Pharaoh, has, he's, uh, he's with Joseph. Joseph interprets the dream, as I said earlier. Uh, he used the skill. Now, given, given all this opportunity that, that jo uh, Joseph has, he can, uh, he's interpreted these dreams, as I said earlier. And uh, there was an interesting point that I read here that a lot of the times, even us in society, we'll use things to our advantage. Well, if you don't help me with that, you're not getting this. A trade-off. Now, Joseph could have used his gift to be able to interpret someone else's dreams and say, hey, I'll, I'll tell you what's wrong with your, I can do, I can ask God, and you can let me out of prison. Or, you know, he could have done that. And I'm, and I'm only saying this because he could have done that in the beginning. But he also could have used that same power when he was out of jail to be able to have authority over those who had taken advantage of him and had said the things that they had said about him. He could have had Potiphar put in jail, his wife killed, uh, all his brothers if he wanted to because he did become second. I mean, the minute they showed up, he could have done that part, but he didn't do that. He chose to be faithful. And the reason he chose to be faithful, again, because there was something different about him. Joseph, as I, I had mentioned at a, another time, had been taught everything that he'd been taught by his father. And because he had been taught that, I said, that's all he knew. And because that's all he knew, that's all he did. And he knew, uh, and I'm going I'm to use the word ponder. He, I believe he pondered that all in his heart, everything that his father gave him. He kept it to himself, and he said, I can't let this. He, and he, I believe he also realized that being with God and doing what my dad has told me to do has allowed me to grow and, uh, and even though I'm going through hard times, to rise up above those things that torment me. The torment is, is, is really, uh, and I, I don't want to say that everybody is, well, we all sin. And we all do wrong. But the torment at times does come because we've done something wrong. But we also know that it comes when it doesn't happen. Or we've not done something wrong. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. We could have used, and again, he's, I say he could have used his skills, uh, but Joseph didn't do that. Instead, uh, he used it for that crucial moment. Instead of bargaining his chips and take advantage, taking advantage of that moment, the gift that he was, uh, Joseph relinquished it with a humble acknowledgement and the gift of a dream interpretation. He said, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh the answer of peace. Instead of focusing on that moment to become the focal point of royal attention, Joseph pointed away from his, himself uh, to God, to the God of his ancestors as a source of, the remarkable, of this remarkable ability. Instead of choosing the path of self 
aggrandizement, aggrandizement, sorry, the self-promotion, Joseph crucially chose the path of humility and service. God gave Joseph the interpretation, and Joseph first recognized that the dreams were paired represent, representation of the same sequence of events. This pairing indicated both that certain uh, that it was certain and that it was it was going to happen, and that the events were symbolic against what was going to take place. The dreams concerned the next were for the next four 14 years of harvest. Of course, we know that the first seven were going to be abundant, but the ones after that were not going to be. There wasn't going to be much left. So they ha it had to be stored. And in Genesis 41, 25, 32, And Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. He was declaring it. He showed you. And, for, and then, of course, in 32, it says, if for that, And for that the dream was double unto Pharaoh twice. It is because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. I can't be, even begin to tell you, and I'm not saying I'm a Joseph, but how many times we have gone to sleep and we've had a dream, and then all of a sudden you go back to that same dream again, and you're wondering what is going on here again. I believe that God is trying to tell us something. I believe that we need to be aware of these things. I believe that God is trying to, at times when we don't listen in the physical, I hope that you listen while you're sleeping. God is wanting to wake us up. For the first seven years, Egypt would experience incredibly uh, rich harvest, of course, and of course for the next seven uh, there wouldn't be that. There would only be a memory, the memory of the plenteous. Again, it's easy to miss the significance of the challenge presented here to core Egyptian religious convictions. Uh, these years of plenty and famine were both pictured as issuing forth from the Nile River. And I mentioned earlier how they believed the things of the Nile River because they, they I believe that God had to use the Nile River to get his attention. He could, I don't, sometimes we talk to people and, well, you're of this faith and you're of that faith. And I believe that God will use dreams to go in, in, into, into that mind of that person and say, i got to show you something, but you're not going to know what it is. But it's kind of be, represents something that you believe, but I'm going to bring you out of that. But the only way to bring him out of that was through the dream uh, that Joseph was able to interpret for him. Joseph had learned the crucial lesson of patience with a reliance and reliance upon God. Unlike Pharaoh, when confronted with an unknown or unexpected future, Joseph did not panic. Instead, Joseph strengthened his faith in God and his commitment to live faithfully before him. Joseph had learned that God would speak in his own way and his own time to be sure, but always exact when his voice was needed. Joseph could stand with a confidence where Pharaoh, knowing that the same God who had given him the interpretation of the butler and the baker's dreams would not fail to give him this interpretation. Joseph had complete confidence in the principle that was later articulated by James. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and umbraideth not. He will not rebuke you for asking, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, not wavering. What we ask, we don't waver. Lord, I need to ask you something. I need an answer. And God will answer. He will answer. The challenge of our day is not that God no longer speaks to us, but that we rarely actually listen when he does speak to us. Often the unexpected downturns of our lives are orchestrated by God to create space for us to hear what he is already saying. I believe that God interfered with the life of Pharaoh in a dream. 
he orchestrated that. And, of course, he, he did deliver the entire nation. But more importantly was to save the people or his people, I should say, um, Jacob uh, and, all, and, the 12, and the tribes, all that was coming. Because otherwise it would, it would die off. It needed to survive. And God knew that he was going to use this. Not, not only to, to show that he could save his people, but more importantly that he could, take, he could transform an entire nation an entire nation, and say, listen to this one Hebrew man. And he was not even of their, uh, how should I say, of their, uh, their nationality. James says, uh, will not, uh, God, uh, James said, will not withhold his wisdom from those who seek it, nor will he keep silent when sincerely asked to hear his voice. God will answer. Joseph's unique wisdom was even more evident than his dream interpretation. He was able to suggest a plan that would not only adverted, uh, only averted a national disaster, but even provided a path to prosperity for Egypt. At the at the rest of the narrative uh, will bear out as the rest of the narrative will bear out. Joseph's plan succeeded so well that Egypt not only had enough uh, grain to eat, but also had enough to sell to those surrounding. And we know this because the brothers came to buy. The events of Joseph's life uh, led him to a place of influence in the world as in the story of Joseph's blessed success in Potiphar's house, Genesis 39. Once again, the tiny world all is used to indicate the success of Joseph's work as Joseph's second in command. And there's more to that. As Joseph was shortly learned, again, with the arrival of his brothers, again, I mentioned it, the dreams had become reality. The entire world, not just his family with uh, uh, would from then be uh, then on bow in respect before Joseph. More importantly, this would be a respect born not out of fear of Joseph's power, but out of the gratefulness of Joseph's gracious wisdom that quite literally saved the world. It took Joseph's cooperation to work God's plan out. God is willing, but we, are, we, we also must be willing, as Joseph was, to work in God's plan. God's plan will never go away. It's always the same. God ordered Joseph's steps. The story of Joseph's uh, appearance before Pharaoh marked the climax again of the narrative I said earlier. The dreams that he would have, uh, how he would take up and go beyond that. Every step and every, uh, even every misstep like the uh, seduction trap by Potiphar's wife, the faulty butler, uh, faulty butler in other words, his memory. Uh, all those were elements of his life unfolding before God but also to bring forth what needed to happen. It would serve us well to ponder the distance between our readerly perspective and Joseph's limited knowledge so that as not to cheat the story of its revelatory power. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, and I think we understand that we can take away from, from a, an event that is in the Bible very easily. I've, I've seen it happen. I've heard it happen, actually. I've sat, in, I've sat with people and I've heard it say, and I'm thinking, well, where is the faith? Where's the faith? We need to hold on to our faith. The story of Joseph is a prime example of the psalmist's wisdom. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have been young, and now am old. I'm getting there. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor ha uh, his seed begging for bread. 
You know, I read the scripture brought me back to the when Jesus was on the cross, and he said, he said, he's, he's declaring, "Why have thou forsaken me? Why?" And he was just repeating something. He was righteous. Jesus was right, so he was not going to be forsaken. He knew that, and he said that, knowing that he was going. He was. He was. He was God manifest in the flesh. God's faithfulness did not eliminate difficulties from Joseph's life, but rather overcame them. Uh, grace did not keep Joseph out of the pit of prison, but it did get him through those traumatic experiences. So it's God's grace that we're covered by. I said earlier we can do the works and so forth, but if we continue to and we, you know, we 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 go into the well, I'm going to do this and this is going to keep my salvation. It doesn't work that way. It's a desire to serve God. Looking back uh, from his high point, Joseph's story, it is easy for us to identify. Uh, the defining moments of his life, his decision to share his dreams with his family, his decision to f- not fall for the, de- uh, the seductions of Potiphar's wife, his decision to continue to serve with excellence even as a prisoner. All were momentous moments. All changed the direction of his story. All mattered more than Joseph could have possibly known at the time. The same is true in our lives. From our earthbound perspective, limited it is by the pain of present circumstances we cannot see the beautiful story God is writing about our lives. We cannot always tell when we have made a tra- trajectory defining choice. Decision, decisions seem forced upon us uh, by the stresses and strain of our all too busy lives. I think I've been there too. You know, too much work or too, too many things to do and I have to back off some of these things. We, like Joseph, sit in pits and prisons, not of our choosing, hoping, uh, and dreaming of a better tomorrow. I'm sorry, and we're hoping about dreaming a better tomorrow. Not, not. We do want that. In the midst of all our sorrow, frustration, and even despair, we have the, the precious uh, promise that one day we'll finally see, as Joseph did, the grand and glorious whole of our lives as part of the divine part. When that which is perfect has come, then that which is, is in part shall be done away with. For now we shall, we, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And I was sharing this with sister this morning where um, this scripture here seemed a little bit off to me. And not that it was off, it just, it wasn't clear. Uh, it says, but then shall I even as also I am known. And if you go to and you start to look for it in the Hebrew, the word, we know that the word I am means is God. And it refers to as God knows me. It was beautiful. Just a little sharing there. It is precisely this hope, this dream that, uh, that will grant us the grace to continue forward in, or the dreams that God gives us, uh, if we, in, you know, if you interpret it properly, forward to even in the most trying circumstances circumstances, Joseph's greatest wisdom was his unfailing faithfulness. For this reason, the writer of Hebrews in his uh, grand tour of the Bible's Hall of Fame chose to save for last the swing, the wing showcasing the heroes who were tortured, marked, scourged, imprisoned, stoned, martyred, ostracized, persecuted, and tormented, but who despite or because of all obtained a good report through faith. It is so important to hold on to what we believe in. It is so important to hold on to the convictions that God has brought us. Once we start to let go of the convictions that God has given us, 
we go against the very nature that God has tried to bring us out of. Be ye whole. May their stories along with the stories of Joseph inspire us all to greater faith and gratefulness. In closing, God is never changing. He remains faithful to his word. Now we also must remain faithful and do so as we have. We must live it, but we also must be about it, as some say. So if you repeat after me, this is going to be a little bit personal. This is between you and God, okay? I'm not pointing at you. I'm not judging you. But if you would say today, Lord Jesus, and you can muffle it if you want. You close your eyes. Lord Jesus, I will remain faithful to you and trust you to order my steps. And give me, Lord, the strength to carry on in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. If you would stand with me today and you'd worship the Lord, the mighty God that came and died for our sins, to make us holy as he is holy. Praise the Lord. Jesus, thank you, Lord.
you clap your hands unto the Lord if you believe that he is everlasting and he is giving. He is worthy. Lord, we give you praise. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, we, uh, we see all these other religions and all these other faiths, and it, and it, it does, I, I, remember, I used to say it all the time, it troubles me, how, how is it? But I was there too. I was troubled at one point in time because I was, I was somewhere else as well. But I'm so glad that I and we have come to know the true living God. This God gives life and no death. It, the death is in the flesh, but he gives us life through his spirit. And he did it all because he loved us. Praise the Lord. May God bless you all that he's blessed you with this message. And if you're looking through our media, God bless you. We'll be here at 11 o'clock again. Join us for uh, worship and also for a good word from the Lord. God bless you and going into prayer in Jesus' name.